And today we're going to talk more about what makes us distinct as a church, what the vision is of this church, why we're here, and what it, what it is that we're trying to accomplish. I'm going to share from my heart with you this morning, and I'm excited that I get to do that because I love, love the church of Jesus Christ. I love the family of God. I love the people of God. I love being a part of what God is doing in our individual lives. There's nothing better. And this morning I get to tell you why I love that so much. You may have heard me talk about this before, but we believe the church at large, the church around the world, has to exist for a better reason than tradition or community or encouragement or emotional support or coffee or even good works. None of those things are a good reason for the church to exist. And I'll tell you why. Because if you want community, you can probably find more people who are like you by going somewhere else. The church isn't the only place that has community. We're not the only place with friendly, welcoming people. The Rotary Club has good fellowship. I'm sure there are scrapbooking clubs that have amazing fellowship. The Shriners have good fellowship. If you're looking for an encouraging, uplifting message, you can watch Oprah. That's her thing. She'll make you feel like a million bucks. The church isn't the only place to get messages that help you feel better about yourself. If you're looking for emotional support, there are probably support groups out there who will listen to you and empathize better than people in the church will, better than I will. I'll give it my best shot, but at a certain point, I'll just be full, and I'll, it'll be like those conversations I have with my wife where she realizes I'm no longer listening, and I'm just saying, yes, 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 and she usually tests me by saying something like, so do you think we should burn the house down? Whatever you think is best, sweetheart. I knew it. I knew it. There's better places to get emotional support. We don't even have the best coffee. Tim Hortons has the best coffee. If you disagree, I respect your right to be wrong. I want you to know that. I don't know if you've realized this, but, but we don't even own the copyright on good works. We, we don't own the copyright on it. We're not all in this room because we said, you know what? I'm a really good person, and I want to be around the other best people that there are to be around. So let's make a club. We'll call it the church, and then all the good people can be together in one place. There are people who don't even believe in God who are more charitable and selfless than many of us are, certainly more charitable and selfless than me. So what does the church have that nobody else has? What do we have that nobody else does? It's Jesus. We have Jesus. While you can get community encouragement and good works at other places, only the church has Jesus. That's your first filling. Only the church has Jesus. I want to make it clear, I am speaking about the global church. I'm not making that claim exclusively about our church. Only this church has Jesus. <laughs> I'm also excited to reveal our new compound that you can sign up for today. And uh, <laughs> Only Jesus, only Jesus can forgive our sins. Only Jesus can give us peace with God. Only Jesus can make us whole in the deepest part of ourselves. Only Jesus determines our eternal destiny. Only Jesus knows why we're here, why we exist. Only Jesus created us. Only Jesus holds the past, the present, and the future in his hands. Only Jesus loves us unconditionally. And we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And that's where we begin 
as a church. We begin with Jesus, with him at the center, with him as our focus, with him as our goal and our aim. We are unapologetically, unwaveringly, passionately, zealously obsessed with Jesus. Write this down. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. That's where we start. And so the wisest thing we could do as a church is make sure that the things that we have that nobody else has are the things that we build our church upon. We're not building our church on the concept of community. We're not building our church on the idea of doing good works. We're not building our church on the idea of making us feel better about ourselves. We're building our church on Jesus because that is the greatest thing we have to offer the world. It's the greatest thing we have to offer each other. It's Jesus. Jesus invented the church. It wasn't our idea. It was his idea. And so because he invented it, he's the one who gets to define its purpose and its mission. I believe that with all my heart. We don't get to gather around in the room and say, hey, guys, what do you think the church should be about? It wasn't our idea. It was Jesus's idea. Coming up with a mission statement is something that, that's crucial to a business. Every business needs to know why it's in business. It needs to know why it's in business. A mission statement keeps you on task and stops you from becoming distracted by all the things you could do and instead keeps you focused on all the things you should do. A mission statement keeps you focused. So fortunately, I don't have to labor and wordsmith over a mission statement for our church. Jesus has already given us one. This is your next fill-in. We believe that every church's mission should be the great commission. Every church's mission should be the Great Commission. Jesus Christ himself wrote the mission statement of the church. Uh, we don't need to come up with a witty way to rebrand it. We don't need to come up with a different idea for our time. This is the mission Jesus gave every believer and the church. It's in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. If you were raised in the church, you're probably singing a kid's song in your head right now based around this verse. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's the mission. That's the mission laid out succinctly by Jesus. When you write a good mission statement, you don't, you don't want it to be like 20 lines. Jesus even nailed it by today's business standards. He made it concise, straight to the point, what you're trying to do and how he wants us to do it. He says, make disciples. He intentionally uses the word disciples. Make students, make pupils, make learners, make followers. Baptize those disciples and teach them to follow Jesus according to his word. We're called to do that collectively as the church and as individuals. So let's talk a little bit about, about our individual lives. Each of us has been given a sphere of influence. And if you're here and you're thinking, I don't have any influence, you have influence. You have influence over your kid. You have influence over your roommate. You have influence. All of us have influence. For some of us, it's huge. For some of us, it's really small. But we all have a sphere of influence. And Jesus in the Great Commission has asked us to use our sphere of influence to direct people to him. He said, that's what I want you to do. That's going to look different for every person in every sphere of influence. If your spouse is a believer... It might just be a word of encouragement, a verse that reminds them that God is with them. If it's your child, 
It's making time to have daily devotions with them, to make sure that you're building Jesus into their way of life. You're building a legacy of Jesus in their lives. If it's an unbelieving coworker, it may be praying for them and asking God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them or invite them to church. The mission that Jesus has given to all of us as the church and as his people is to push, pull, drag, nudge, whatever, people, one another, closer to Jesus. Closer to Jesus. So how does the church help us as individuals to accomplish that goal? To be missionaries, to be ambassadors of Christ, to be disciple makers in everyday life. Well, have you noticed that when you live that way, when you live on mission for Jesus, it's, it's really tiring. It's really tiring. It can be exhausting. It can be draining because you can empty yourself emotionally and spiritually every single week. And many of you do. But when we gather as the church, Jesus promises that his presence will be here in a special, empowering way. When we gather as the church around Jesus, something special happens. He refreshes us. He recharges us. He refocuses us. He encourages us. He fills us up where we're empty. He strengthens us. And we're ready to go out and be his ministers again. Write this down. We gather to be spiritually refilled. We gather to be spiritually refilled. And then we scatter to pour ourselves out for Jesus. We gather to be spiritually refilled and then we scatter to pour ourselves out for Jesus. Rinse and repeat. That's the model Jesus gave us. Every time we gather together as the church, I believe Jesus wants to refresh and revive and refill us. Every time we gather together as the church, I believe that with my whole heart. So I want to say one of the main reasons the church exists really is to minister to you so that you can go out and be a minister to others in your sphere of influence. It's our desire that every single one of us every week would leave here full of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want. That's what we're, we're trying to see happen, that we would leave full of God's word, full of his spirit, ready to go out and represent Jesus in our individual lives. Collectively, how does the church help us fulfill the Great Commission? When it comes to that word go, here's what I believe I've noticed. I don't think you even have to be intentional about it. If we are focused and obsessed with Jesus, there will always be people going. There will always be people who are just passing through his church because God is going to stir their heart to go. Tonight we're going to talk more about it. This, this church only exists. My family is only here because God stirred our heart to come back here. It's something that just happens as you put Jesus first and put your whole life at his disposal and ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? And you realize that even where I live, God, I, I want you to decide that. What I do with my life, I want you to decide that. There will always be people going where Jesus is the focus and Jesus is the center. Jesus told us in the Great Commission to pay attention to teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And when Jesus refers to teaching, it's a pretty safe assumption he's talking about from the scriptures. He's talking, teach the scriptures to people. Teach the Bible to people. And so we understand that the Bible and Bible teaching is at the heart of the Great Commission. Write this down. Jesus directly links Bible teaching with making disciples. He's not talking about moral teaching. 
He's talking about the scriptures, the inspired word of God. He directly says, make disciples. When someone comes to faith in Christ, they need to get baptized. But then how are you going to make disciples? Teaching them to obey everything I've written, everything I've commanded. Teaching them his word. That's the model Jesus gave us. He didn't say, you know, you need to sit down and come up with a class because you know, I, I want you guys to make disciples. I just don't know how you're going to do it. So if you guys could figure that out, that would be great. God said, listen, just teach my word to people. Help them understand it. Make them fall in love with it, and it's going to happen. They're going to become disciples. That's what it means to disciple people. It's all centered around the word of God. When you, when you understand that, you'll understand that in order to fulfill the Great Commission, God's word has to be at the center of that. It has to be at the center of that. We're going to talk a little more about that later. As simple as it may seem, I can tell you from personal experience, Jesus will do amazing things in your life when you become committed to a church that is rooted in the word of God. He'll do amazing things. You will not believe how simply studying God's word together with your church family just once a week will compound, build upon itself, and drastically impact your life. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. God will disciple you through his word and breathe continual fresh life into your relationship with him. He'll do it. And I get, I get it. I know there's this part in us that thinks, what can a 50-minute teaching once a week really do in my life? What can it do? And unlike an, an emotional high or a story that makes you cry or gets you excited, the word of God is foundational. So that means it goes into your life and it goes deep and it builds upon itself. God says the way it works is it's precept upon precept. It's line upon line. It's building, it's building, it's building. It would sort of be like if you took the foundation for a massive skyscraper and you broke down the concrete of the foundation into individual buckets. And you say, well, what, what can a bucket of concrete do? Well, not a lot, but when you pour that one in and then pour in another and another and another and another and another and another, suddenly you can build a skyscraper on top of that foundation. And that's the effect that the word of God has in our lives. It's foundational. You can build a life on it. You can build a family on it. It can sustain a marriage. It can get you through a crisis. It can weather the storm. That's how the word of God works. Jesus is passionate about his church. In Ephesians, Jesus tells husbands that our model for loving our wives, our example is the way Jesus has loved his church. It says this in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So write this down. If you love Jesus, if you love Jesus, you'll love his church. If you love Jesus, you'll love his church. It is non-optional. If you love Jesus, you'll love his church. What did Jesus do for his church out of his love for his church? He died for her. He laid down his life for her. And though his church is messed up and full of issues, what does Jesus do? Does he walk away? No, it says he sanctifies her. He makes her clean. How? 
with the washing of water by the word. Jesus says as his word is poured over his church, it cleanses her. It makes her beautiful. It makes her beautiful. And what's the destiny of the church? Well, according to Jesus, the day is coming when the church collectively will be presented to him holy and without blemish. I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking of one person, and you're like, how is that possible if they're going to be there? But listen, God is going to redeem us all, okay? One day the church will all be in his presence and will be faultless, faultless. The process of being sanctified will be complete. And on that day, Jesus says that the church will be his bride. There's no more intimate terminology Jesus could have used than to say the church will be his bride. He will marry himself mystically. He will join himself mystically to his church for eternity and will be one with him forever. That event in the book of Revelation is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that is, you've got to get this, that is the eternal destiny of the church. When the church reaches her full potential, the church is the bride of Jesus, joined to him forever. That's the destiny of the church. That's where the church is going. You've got to understand this because the church is not destined to end world hunger. The destiny of the church is not to end all environmental pollution. The destiny of the church is not to be the ultimate community center with programs that all of your neighbors love. That's not the destiny of the church. Those are not bad things, but that's not the destiny of the church. The destiny of the church is not to help every lonely person find new friends. It's not the destiny of the church. The destiny of the church is to be joined to Jesus forever as his bride. That's the ultimate fulfillment of the church. The church belongs to Jesus. It exists for Jesus. And with that in mind, when you understand that, you'll understand that we cannot be a church that makes all our decisions based on the question, what do the people of the Tri-Cities want? We can't do that. Above that, we have to ask, what does Jesus want from his church? And it's all tied up in that phrase, his church, his church. Bonus content. We were this close to naming the church his church, actually, when we started it. But we figured out that would seem really snobbish to every other church. (laughs) Do you go to his church or somewhere else? (laughs) I was like, that's not going to play well. The church belongs to Jesus. And, And please understand this. I'm not saying that good works and caring about your community are bad. I'm just saying that is not the destiny of the church. And that's not what Jesus asked us to do. Jesus asked us to be focused on him and invite other people to experience the incredible life and meaning that comes from living a life focused on him. Nobody else has that mission. Other people who don't even know Jesus in our communities already have the mission to build community in our community. There are already people who don't believe in Jesus who have the mission to save the planet. There's people who don't believe in Jesus who have the mission and vision to end world hunger. Our mission and vision above all those things, not to the total neglect of those things, but above all those things, is what does Jesus want from his church? He invented it, and he's laid out in his word what he wants from it. It's ultimately going to be his bride, So let's pour ourselves into the practice 
of making the church into the kind of bride he desires, the most beautiful bride that she can be for Jesus because everything we're doing is looking ahead to that day, the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's where the church is going. It belongs to him, so him being pleased with it matters more than anything, more than anything. This won't be the last time I say this. It would mean nothing if we have a church with 10,000 people in it, but it's not the church that Jesus wants us to be. It would mean nothing. So if the Great Commission is to make disciples, if you're going to teach someone how to be a disciple of Jesus, if that's what Jesus wants us to do, I think it's safe to assume that he would want us to teach as though the people here want to be disciples. Because if we don't make that assumption, we're not going to be teaching people how to be disciples of Jesus. I know that sounds really oversimplistic, but this is a major division in the Christian world, especially in the Western church. Many churches have said, listen, our focus is not to make disciples. We want to reach people before they even become disciples, so we can't teach through the Bible. It's too much for a non-believer. It's over their heads, so let's simplify everything and teach a principle from the Bible. That way we can leave out the heavy stuff and make it more palatable. And it sounds like a really nice idea and it's rooted in good intentions. But everything goes back to the Great Commission and the Great Commission is the explanation of how Jesus wants us to do it. It goes back to the idea that I don't get to establish the mission of this church. Jesus has established the mission of this church. Success or failure will never ever be how many people we can get to show up. Success or failure will be how close can we get to accomplishing the mission Jesus has given us and accomplishing it the way that he wants us to accomplish it. Everything I want in life is to hear Jesus one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. That's what I want for our church. That's what I want for every single one of us. And I think when Jesus looks sometimes at his church, we've turned away from the word of God and said, we found a better way Jesus, you don't really understand our culture, so we, we found a better way. I think Jesus has to be thinking, oh, I'm sorry, I thought I, thought I invented the church. I, I thought it existed for me. I thought I commanded you to make disciples, and I thought your job was to prepare a bride for me one day. Nowhere in the scriptures can I find Jesus saying, I want the biggest bride. Never, never, ever says that. You're all thinking of a really fat woman in a wedding dress right now. I just realized that. That's why you're all snickering. But Jesus never says that. I will mention this again, but it goes to this issue of fruit. Everywhere where Jesus talks about how you can know a person's spiritual condition by the fruit in their life, what shows up in their life, I never, ever, ever find Jesus talking about the quantity of fruit. I only ever find him talking about the quality of it. We'll get ahead on that again. And that's not to say quantity doesn't matter because we want a great quantity of good quality fruit. But you will never get quality by focusing on quantity first. But you may get quantity by focusing on quality and health first. Jesus didn't say make attenders. He didn't say go into all the world and make converts. He said make disciples. He made it clear that teaching his word is the main way he wants that accomplished. We'd rather have five disciples than 5,000 attenders. 
Because five disciples would put us closer to what Jesus wants from his church. It really would. He's not interested in butts and seats. He's interested in hearts that are fully devoted to him. So as a church, our focus has to be on being disciples and making more disciples because that's what Jesus wants. Again, our prayer is that we'd end up with 5,000 disciples. That's the ideal. That's what we want. Write this down if you didn't write this down already. Jesus is not concerned with the quantity of the fruit. He's concerned with the quality of the fruit. And I want to suggest to you the reason is because, is because only a healthy tree can produce healthy fruit. You will never get high quality fruit from an unhealthy tree. It just won't happen. And what do we know about healthy things? We know that healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. So I believe Jesus strategically told us his church he said listen focus on being healthy focus on being healthy as a church focus on teaching my word and continuing to go back to my word to find out how i want you to do things he said focus on being healthy and i'll provide the growth and so for us our model as a church going forward is always going to be primarily first and foremost focused on are we healthy even if we're 3,000 people one day, it's not going to be, how many do we have last Sunday? We always want to be asking the question, are we healthy? Are we healthy? Are we healthy? Are we sticking to the mission? And we believe that as we make us our focus, growth will naturally happen over time. When you study the New Testament, the book of Acts and, and the epistles, the letters that are written in there, it becomes pretty clear, pretty fast, write this down, that the church service was aimed at the believer. It was aimed at the believer. And this is a, very different concept, I think, especially in our Western church culture today. But I challenge you, go read through the New Testament and find anything. Try to find anything that implies that their churches were aimed at non-believers. What you'll actually find is that most people didn't get saved in church services. They got saved between church services in relationship with people because they had this crazy idea that you didn't actually have to be an employee of the church to lead someone to Jesus. The church was the place where people came where they said, I want to know more about Jesus. They had already determined that even before they stepped foot in the church. And that's not always the reality for us today. But I think it's important that we take the lesson from the Bible that their main concern in church was always making disciples, building up the body of Christ, building up believers. Go read all the one another's in the New Testament. It's always talking about encouraging each other, building up one another, gathering together to study the scriptures, to sing songs, to praise God together, to use spiritual gifts together. It's very clear they got together to build one another up. And I would suggest to you that the church becomes unhealthy when we say, I know you know Jesus, but we're not gonna focus at all on building you up. We're gonna focus on people that don't even know him yet because we can only do that as the organization of the church. I think the biblical model is much more saying, no, 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 all of us together in our individual lives are gonna focus on the people who don't know Jesus. And when we gather together as the church, we're gonna be focused on encouraging one another. We're gonna be focused on the things we have that nobody else has. And what we desire is that someone who doesn't know Jesus would come into that, see that, and go, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want to know more about what's going on here. I believe that's the biblical model. There's no example of Paul preaching and one of his assistants come to him and says, there's a non-believer in here, so you got to scale your teaching 
way back, way, way back. Can't be talking about sexual immorality or any of this weird stuff. Paul, just keep it light and simple. Never, ever, ever happens. This is what blows my mind. Paul goes to Thessalonica. He's got two weeks there to start a church. He teaches on the end times. He teaches on the end times. Like in their new believers class, he walks them through the rapture and the end of the world. There's nothing in Paul's ministry where he ever dumbs it down. You know, I I can't teach and disciple everybody on a Sunday morning at all the different levels we're at. We're at so many different levels of faith. Some of us are battle-tested veterans. Some of us are new believers. Some of us are backslidden believers. Some of us are lukewarm believers, becoming hotter word, all these different places. Some of us grew up Catholic. Some of us grew up atheist. I can't write a teaching that's gonna minister to everybody at the same time. But the word of God can do just that because the word of God is supernatural and Jesus has breathed upon it. And when we teach God's word faithfully, the Holy Spirit shows up. And here's what seems to happen. Those that need advanced, deep, meaty teaching, Holy Spirit gives it to them as we open God's word. Those who know nothing about the faith, the Holy Spirit gives them something basic they can digest. He does it. He meets every person where they're at. And that only seems to happen when we teach the word of God. There's nothing I can come up with that will have the same effect. I can aim at the advanced. I can aim at the basic. But if I do one of those, it's at the expense of the other. The word of God through the Holy Spirit just seems to hit everybody where they're at and minister to them where they're at. It's amazing. So we believe that the church and the church gathering exists for disciples of Jesus the ones who are gonna leave after the service and go out and be Jesus in their spheres of influence. And that being said, we always wanna do everything we can without compromising to make New Hope a place where it's as easy and welcoming as possible for a non-believer to come and listen in. For a non-believer to come and listen in. We absolutely wanna do that and we strive to do that. If we can manage to not be weird, we put effort into not being weird but we're never gonna compromise the word of God in order to accomplish that goal. Our love for Jesus makes us passionate about a lot of other things, and I just wanted to hit on some of them for you really quickly. First one's worship. We love to worship Jesus because worship is about acknowledging who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and when we do that, it's like a giant reset button that gets pushed in our lives. You guys probably know throughout the week there's competition for this throne that lives in each of our hearts. There's one main thing ruling our lives, and during the week, there are always things competing to get on there for our focus and attention and be number one. And when we worship God, this is what's going on in the spiritual world. Anything else that may have snuck up on that throne during the week, you're walking up to it, kicking it off, and making sure that Jesus gets back on. That's the effect that worship has. And we want to be a church of passionate worship. Here's the simplest way I can say it. We want to be a church that worships Jesus as though we actually believe what we believe. We really do. And wherever you are in your worship, I want to encourage you to up your worship game, to be more passionate. And and here's the reason. When you put yourself in the shoes of a non-believer, I've often thought how weird it must seem when you visit a church and there are people there and you're singing these epic song lyrics about how like you've saved me, you've conquered death and all of this. And the the physical picture that goes along with that is this. You've conquered death. You're epic and awesome. (laughs) 
There's just like a complete disconnect between the way we're worshiping and the words that we're singing. And isn't that honestly the greatest, most common knock on the church is that there's a disconnect between the way we live and what we claim to believe. And I love and dream of the day when people walk in here and they just go, oh, whoa, whoa, they, these guys sing like they actually believe what's on the screen is real. There's more going on here than group karaoke. Like something profound is happening here. That's why we love to worship. We ought to be the most joyful people on earth when we get together. We don't believe that worship prepares you to receive the word of God. We believe that the word of God prepares you to worship God rightly. That's why we do a whole bunch of worship at the end of the service. Because we want to have the word of God and then respond to it in worship. You know, I always wanted to have a church where people left saying, I experienced God today. I encountered God today. And I, and I wasn't manipulated. The pastor didn't tell a story involving puppies dying that made me cry. And I think I experienced God. I experienced God in my seat alone. I, I felt the presence of God. And that's why we worship after the message. We always wanted to build room into our services. And that room there, just so you know, intentionally is us saying to the Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Minister to people. Meet them where they're at. And I'll give you a little insight on this too. Is I've been in so many services where pastors have teached amazing messages and then they dismiss the people like this. And you can almost see people who are being convicted by the Holy Spirit going, whew, I thought I was going to have to deal with that for a second. Now I can just go out to lunch and forget all about it. And so one of the reasons we worship after is I want this church to be the most difficult place to resist the Holy Spirit that we could ever put together on the earth. That's what I want. So if we're going to teach God's word, the Holy Spirit is going to move in our lives. And if we're looking for an escape, we're not going to let you do that. We're going to make you stay here. Now we're going to worship God for like 20 minutes. You don't have a chance. He's going to get you. He's going to get you, and that's what we want to do. We want to build room in the service for the Holy Spirit to do ministry. The Holy Spirit to do ministry. We want people to encounter God for real. We love to worship Jesus because we're so overwhelmed by his love for us. We love to worship him. Now, you may have noticed that we have communion available every week in the back, and every week we'll invite you to take it during the worship time after the message. And we do that because we ask the question, how does Jesus want us to take communion? We feel that it needs to be available every Sunday because it represents a reminder that we need every day. We need to be reminded every day that Jesus has died for us and forgiven us. We need to be reminded of that every day. It's the fuel that makes us live for him. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Communion is being overwhelmed by the kindness of God again and again and again. It's a reminder that we're not living under condemnation or guilt or shame, that we're forgiven, and it's a reminder of why we love Jesus so much. And on the subject of communion, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I want to suggest to you, one, Paul makes it clear that non-believers are not supposed to take communion. It's not for them. It's not a mid-service snack. It's something profound that is for believers who are grateful for the blood and the body of Jesus. Paul also makes it clear that communion shouldn't be taken carelessly. 
as a mindless ritual or tradition. So we didn't want to do communion and say, why are we doing communion? Oh, because it's the fourth Sunday of the month. We never wanted to do that. Paul says that a man should examine himself before he takes communion. In other words, he needs to stop and ask, is there anything in my life that God is calling me to deal with? Is there anything he's calling me to repent of? Is there anyone that I need to ask forgiveness from? And Paul says, do that. Get right with God before you take it. And we just felt like if we were passing trays around and saying, if any of you has any business you need to do with God, you got 20 seconds, wrap it up. We just felt like we couldn't accomplish that biblical mandate from Paul by passing trays and saying, we're going to do it right now. I also think if we're realistic as people that nobody's really gonna go, I'm not really repentant if I'm honest, so just pass me. And then we didn't want to make it awkward for non-believers to say, if you're a non-believer here today, this is not for you. Don't take, don't participate. Oh, okay. We didn't want to make it weird for them. So we wanted to do communion in a way that would allow us to examine ourselves beforehand, make sure that we're not taking it in an unworthy manner. And this way we feel like we've managed to do that. We built in time for prayer and reflection and each person has to make a conscious choice to take communion. You're not just taking it because it's coming down your aisle. You're taking it because you willingly choose to. You have to actively do it. It's not the best way in the world to do it. It's just the best way we could come up with when we ask the question, how does Jesus want us to do this? And so we always want to make the instructions of Jesus the priority even over church tradition. So if you have a better idea, we're totally open to that. But I just wanted to let you know that's why we do it that way. Next, God's word, because we love Jesus, we love his word. If you haven't figured this out yet, it's our most consistent and reliable form of communication with God. It's where faith comes from. It's the wisdom of heaven available to anyone who desires it. It's the authority over all of us. It sets our course as individuals, couples, families, and as a church, and it never returns void. It always does its work in us. We love being together because we love Jesus. We love his brothers and sisters. We love his family. And I think that God chose the analogy of family for a reason. And I'll tell you why. God didn't say, when you come into the family of God, every other believer is your best friend. Don't care if you like hanging out with them or not. Meet your new best friends. Jesus didn't say that. He made us family. He made us brothers and sisters. Here's what I know about family. In your extended family, you've probably got a crazy uncle. You've probably got a weird cousin. And just because they're your uncle or your cousin doesn't mean you call them up every week and say, hey, let's hang out. After all, we're family, so we might as well be besties. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that when they're in trouble and they need help, you'll be there. It means that when they call you up and say, hey, I need someone to talk to, you'll be there. It probably means that when they're moving, you're going to end up showing up to help them. Why? Because they're family. They're family. And that's the model that Jesus gave us. And I share that because I never want to be unrealistic about the way that church works. Sometimes people come into a church and they're like, well, I'm here at your church, so I'm ready to meet my new best friends. And it's like, well, well you, you can be family, but your ability to make friends will still depend on things like, are you nice? You know, like, like uh, we haven't created like a magic special zone where you can be a jerk and everybody will still like you. That doesn't happen. 
So Jesus chooses the analogy of family, and you are going to make some very close friends in the church. That will happen. There's something supernatural that takes place when believers get together with the goal of strengthening and encouraging each other. It's priceless. And that's one of the things that takes place in our small groups. In our men's groups, we meet on Saturday morning. Our only formula is talking honestly about our week, talking honestly about our life, and then reading some scripture together and praying. That's it. That's what we do. We're not going through any curriculum or anything like that. What makes it special are the brothers that I'm with in that group. That's what makes it special. The men that I'm with, we love Jesus and we love each other and we are committed to pushing each other to be disciples of Jesus. That's what we're committed to and that makes it special. God blesses that, he moves in that and we're encouraged in that. And I wanna share one note about our groups. Our groups are even different to probably the average church's groups. Our groups are for people who believe that this is their church family. That's who our groups are for. If you want to check out the church, Sunday morning's the place to do that. But we found that great groups happen where there's trust and real care. And it's really hard for that to develop when you're not sure if the person's even going to be there ever again. And they're just checking it out. So for us, Sunday morning is a great way to check out the church, find out more about it. Groups is a way to say, man, I want to make this my church family. How can I get to know people better? Groups are a way to do that and a way to make that happen. So there are four people who are a part of the church family. And what we find is that when people have committed to make this their church family, the way they click in groups is on a whole nother level. Because if this is your home church, then you're going to love the word of God. If this is your home church, you're going to want to know more about Jesus. All those things are in place and it works really, really well. Because we love Jesus, we love being together. This verse is on your outline. It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Exhorting just means encouraging one another. The writer of Hebrews was saying, being able to gather together as the church is precious. It's special. It's a blessing. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. And as we gather regularly in Jesus' name at his church, as we seek him in his word, as we worship and pray together, we're, we're seeing a culture emerge in our church that we're so excited about. And the best analogy I can get, give is this. I would say if you've done this as a kid, but you've definitely done it as an adult too probably. Have, have you or a friend ever had one of those round portable pools that you used to be able to buy for like $200 and they would last like one summer. They are the best pools for making whirlpools in. And you've probably all done this where you just start walking around in a circle uh, like you're lapping Jericho or something. And it's really difficult at first. There's a lot of resistance. But then suddenly you reach this point where it's just moving and it can carry you all around the pool. And it's awesome. It's awesome. And that's what happens in the church over time. As we consistently focus on Jesus and being the kind of church he wants us to be, this culture begins to form like a current in a swimming pool and suddenly Jesus begins to permeate everything. When you commit to this church, when you're here every opportunity that you can be, you will find, I promise you, suddenly you're talking with your spouse about Jesus over lunch on a Sunday afternoon. Suddenly, you're going to God's word when you need to make big decisions. Suddenly, you're praying as a first reaction to problems. Suddenly, your mind is on the word of God. 
There's this current, there's this culture that begins to form because you begin to have relationships with other people in the church who are experiencing the same thing. So when you get together, it just amplifies that. You love to talk about Jesus. You love to talk about the Lord. And that builds your faith. And it creates this culture, this current that just begins to happen. Write this down. And this is so key. This is one of our core values is consistency builds culture. Consistency builds culture. We'll never be a church where you show up one Sunday and absolutely everything has changed for six weeks and then everything radically changes again. We're just trying to be consistent about the things Jesus wants us to be consistent about. It's that idea of building a foundation. We're not trying to build foundations for seven different houses. We're trying to build the same foundation bigger and stronger again and again and again and again, something we can build our lives on. And as you commit to that, if you commit to this as your church, I promise in the best way possible, you'll get caught up in that current and it will permeate your whole life. Consistency builds culture and we're committed to being consistent as a church. We are committed to becoming like Jesus. We care deeply about the name and the reputation of Jesus. We care deeply about that. We understand that we carry his name have you ever thought about that? We carry the title of Christian, Christian. We carry his name, and there's no greater title that we could ever have. We understand that our lives represent Jesus to those around us because we love Jesus, because we care about his reputation. We want to become more and more like him. We are passionate and always will be as a church, passionate about growing up in the faith. Read the letters of Paul. Every church that he writes to, he expresses this concern of, I, I just want to see them grow up in the faith. I want to see them grow up, move past the elementary things into the deep things of God. Move past basic faith into mountain moving. Trust God with your life, faith. And we are committed to the concept of growth. I don't want anybody in this church to be in the same place one year from now that they are now. There's not a level we're trying to get to. The closest thing to a level we're trying to get to is Jesus, which we will only reach when we arrive in his presence. Until then, we want to be going from faith to faith, faith to faith, growing consistently in God. We're a church that is committed to growth. We don't want to be like the Israelites who lacked faith and missed out on the promised land because they doubted God. We don't want that legacy. I don't want that legacy for any of us in any of our lives. We're not playing games. We're living for the king. We're living for the glory of Jesus until the day we die and get to spend the rest of eternity enjoying the glory of Jesus. And we are never going to stop pushing one another to have even greater faith to trust God more, to believe God more, to step out in faith more. That's one of our distinctives. The last distinctive I want to hit on is the gospel, living on mission. Because we love Jesus so much, we are going to live very differently to quote-unquote ordinary people. That's what happens when we view everything we have as belonging to God, even our very lives. Where we live, that belongs to God. Our family, that belongs to God. If he says go, then we're going to go. If he says stop, then we're going to stop because we understand that this earth is not our home. This is not where we're going to spend eternity. The focus of our lives has to be saying thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus, in the way we spend our time. Thank you, Jesus, in the way we spend our money. Thank you, Jesus, in the way we serve our spouses and our families. Thank you, Jesus, in the way we work for our employers. Thank you, Jesus, in everything, in everything. We are going to view our whole lives as belonging to Jesus, available for his glory and his purposes, however he desires to use them. That's where we all want to go. So what's coming in the future? There's no secret big reveal I'm doing. This isn't an Apple product launch, unfortunately. I've just talked about consistency. So when I say what's coming, it's not going to be, we're changing everything. All I know is it's going to involve lasers, but we'll figure out the rest of it later on, you know. The biggest thing we're doing over the next year really begins tonight at our partnership meeting. We are going to begin to identify who is at the place where they view this church as their church family. Who is it who wants to be involved in, in building this culture and building something really special here? And the reason is our first step is knowing who's in the family, not so that we can neglect those who aren't, but so that we can talk about family business with family members and pray about family business with family members. And so over the next year, we're going to be talking a lot about what God wants to do through us as a church. We're going to continue to be consistent and build our culture around Jesus. We want to give more opportunities to connect as a small group. One of the things we've started doing recently is having monthly fellowship events where we can get together just once a month. If, if getting together once a week with a small group is too much for you, we want to build those opportunities to connect with people. We're going to emphasize prayer in an increasing way over the coming year. We're going to talk about that more tonight. We've got some exciting things in the pipelines. Uh, at some point, we're going to outgrow uh, that room over there, and we'll probably have to move over here and take the partition out, and that'll mean some practical changes that we'll have to work through, and we'll talk about that as a family when we get to that point. It's a good problem to have. And then we're going to just continue to find every way that we can to try and help make disciples, to try and help make disciples. Just throwing ideas around, we would love to begin making video recordings of our messages, not here, but during the week, aimed to the viewer on the other side of the camera, for lack of a better word. And the reason is so that people who maybe don't live close by here can host a Bible study in their home. We can provide the teaching and they can just open up their home and talk about it and pray about it afterwards. There's people even in the church who have suggested that they would like to do that in their home because they have people they know who may not be ready to step foot in any church but would accept an invite to come to their home to maybe do that. So we just want to keep asking how can we teach God's word? How can we make disciples? How can we build this culture? How can we feed into this? Really, it's going to be an incredible year. Our focus is going to be health, getting even healthier, even healthier, and even closer to being the church that Jesus wants us to be. That's our obsession. That's our focus. And so I want to invite you to make this your church home, if you haven't done that yet. I want to invite you to join us in building the kind of culture, in building the kind of church that you absolutely love. As a dad, I think this through, and I think, what is the kind of church I want my kids to grow up in? That's the way I always view this. And I think things like, I want my kids to grow up in a church where radical faith is just normal. It's just normal. And that as they walk around the church and they hear little bits of conversation, the conversations are about how God has done this for us. He's done this for us. And everybody is just talking about Jesus I want them to grow up in that culture. I, I want them to grow up in a church where, just imagine this, where as we get older, we actually get more zealous for Jesus. 
we actually get more passionate instead of buying into the lie that that's something for young people. I want my kids to grow up in that kind of church. I want them to grow up in a church where tons of different people is just normal, but we're joined together by the grace of Jesus. I want to build that kind of church for my kids, for your kids, for you and for me. That's what I want to see the Lord do. There's so much more of God for all of us. Every single one of us are only scratching the surface of what God has for us. And so we want to build the kind of church that will never allow us to become complacent, that will always keep pushing us to move into that promised land, to move into the greater things of God. I don't want to miss any of what Jesus has for me. I don't want you to miss any of what Jesus has for you. I want it all. I want all of him. And more than anything, we want to bless and honor Jesus. That's always going to be our focus as a church. That will be our priority in every single decision we make. We'd love for you to join the church family. Let's build something special together. Let's build the kind of church that when Jesus looks down on it, he says, well, I gotta bless it. I just have to. Those people are crazy about me. I believe God is doing something special and is going to do something incredibly special here. Incredibly special. And I wanna invite you to be a part of it. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? Let's pray together. Because we're obsessed with Jesus, we, we will always give this opportunity every week. If there is anybody here who doesn't know Jesus and says, I want to begin that journey with him. I want to begin knowing him. I want to find in Jesus what I cannot find anywhere else. And I'm ready to look to him for that. If that's where you're at, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know who you are so we can connect after the service. If that's you, just mark that on your connection card. Make sure you come up and talk with me before you leave today. I'd love to talk with you more about what it means to know Jesus. For the rest of us, my desire for every believer is that they would be in a church that they love, they are passionate about, that helps them become more like Jesus. I hope that's this church for you, but if it's not, I want you in a church where you are passionate and connected to Jesus and around other people who are doing the same thing. But if you're in and out, if you're flirting with the church, if you show up every once in a while, I just want you to really consider committing to a church. I want to tell you there is no comparison between what God will do in your life if you'll commit to a church as opposed to just dropping in every now and then. Would you pray and consider the Lord's desire for you to be committed to a church. I think he wants to do great things in every single one of our lives. And he wants to use the church as part of that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the gift of the church, for the gift of brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with us and giving us a way and a place to gather together with other people who love you and are passionate about you, God. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for giving that to us. I pray that you would help me and every single one of us that consider this our church home to be a blessing to you, to be pleasing to you, God, to do this thing called church in a way that honors you, that makes your bride beautiful, God, that pleases your heart. More than anything else, we want to be a blessing to you. Lead us and guide us in that. Help us to be the church you desire us to be. We love you so much. In your name we pray.